Hey, I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Today, I have Andre Darlington, and this this man has a very cool book that's out, and it's perfect for the holidays. It's cocktails, it's food, and before I bring Andre on, I'll just give you a little bit of background, and it's going to be such a fun conversation. So Andre Darlington is a drink, food, and lifestyle writer based in Philadelphia and North Carolina. He is a former restaurant critic and award-winning wine and spirits columnist. He recently completed a circumnavigation of the globe to survey the world's cocktails landscape, a journey he details in his last book, Booze Cruise. What an awesome title that is. In his newest book, Bar Menu, 100 Plus Drinking Food Recipes for Cocktails Hours at Home, exactly moms. I know exactly where we're going with this. Andre shows that the cocktail party is back. However, the highly ritualized version from yesteryear has morphed into something far more casual and more adventuresome. The post-World War II cocktail party boom had its own Bible. James Beard's book, Hors d'oeuvres in Canapes. We're going to have lots of words today that I'm not going to know. And today's hosts and hostesses have Bar Menu, the ultimate guide to boozy eating and entertaining at home. Welcome, Andre, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. This would be so fun. Um, I've seen your book. There's lots of words that I can't pronounce, so I lots of questions. Uh, (laughs) But I love it because it's super simple stuff. But before we get in, I have to ask you. What is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? Wow, good question. So I'm Swiss on my mother's side and I had a Swiss grandmother. She sadly passed, but she was this incredible cookie baker. Um, And Swiss is very funny. It's similar to German, but things have really funny names like Basler Lacherli. And, um, (laughs) you know, there's like Linzer Torte, which, you know, German German speakers um, know. But we had a lot, or, or one of the favorites was Toterbandli, which means um, dead legs, which actually is one of my favorites. They were just these like cookie sticks um, oh. that were like made out of nuts. They were like very old. Everything tastes very old and not that sweet. Um, but of course, you know, as I got older, I came to really crave them. Luckily, my mother makes most of them now. And oh. they're pretty close to my grandmother's. Um, but yeah, those are my those are my cookie memories. They're pretty strong, actually. <laughs> I love it. And, and uh, you've got, you're the first one that's named like cookie sticks. Yeah. Um, you know, I always love that, that question because everyone has their own like heritage and things. So it's really, yeah. um, sometimes they'll say, I don't like cookies. I'm like, well, no, like everyone loves a cookie. Like, come yeah. on. I mean, I kind of tend towards, because, you know, I'm this cocktail uh, guy and I do a lot of, of, of cocktail hours. I do like cookies that are sort of like closer to biscuits, you know, they're yeah. really crispy and um, a little salty, a little sweet. I have a couple of those actually in um, in this new book because I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, almost like those Biscoff that you get on the airplane. Yeah, exactly. Or even just like a good crispy sugar cookie. They're so good with cocktails. Oh yeah. I mean, Hey, I think lots of things are good with cocktails. So, I mean, so 
I want to know how you got into it. I've read a little bit at like the intro of the book and it's, you know, I know that you're, you are taking out the formality and you're bringing it home. I mean, it's the holiday season's coming up and I think that people come over now that COVID is over. We're like craving connection and all this yeah, stuff. For sure. And I think we're out of COVID enough now where it's not a distant memory. It's like, but it's there where right. we're back to normal. We're having people over and we're getting closer to each other, like in vicinity. So tell me a little bit about how you got into cocktails and chefs, you know, culinary, because there's lots of names. I'm not. Yeah. So I started out as a restaurant writer, a restaurant review, a restaurant writer, went into um, wine writing and I actually quit my day job um, to do wine writing and then it very quickly morphed into cocktail writing. I'd had a cocktail column already. And uh, so the first book came out in 2016 and it's kind of been a wild ride. I've been doing, uh, in the beginning, I was doing about a, a book a year. And now I have three books coming out this year because of the pandemic kind of pile up. I, I basically mm -hmm. just sat at home and, and wrote for like two years. Um, so there's a little bit of a pile up, but um, I'm, I'm just handed in the initial draft on book 11. So it's Ooh. been this wild um, ride. I never expected to write about cocktails full time as a career. Um, you know, it, the cocktails have, um, you know, they take, took me on a TV with uh, TCM. I wrote a book for TCM and it took, they took me around the world in 2019 uh, before the pandemic. So it's really been um, kind of this incredible dream ride. Um, and then specifically with this book, uh, I owned a restaurant uh, pre-pandemic um, I actually got out of it because the books were doing so well. Uh, and so I have a long history of um, basically throwing parties, whether whether as an amateur or professionally. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's great. And who, you know, restaurants are hard and hustle bustle. So if you can write and not have to do that. <laughs> I, got, I got really lucky. Um, at the time, I was very sad to leave the in that, you know, part of the industry. Um, but then in retrospect, I was very glad to have gotten out because as a restaurant owner, you feel responsible for everyone inside and um, it would have killed me to watch it, um, you know, to, to have everybody unemployed. And it, it was a rough ride for all my friends that stayed in and, and kept restaurants, many of them, most of them actually still going, um, you know, God bless them because it was a really difficult situation yeah, and, still, and it's still challenging. You know, we're but still not really super creative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, all the to-go stuff. Um, but for me, what I, when, and what I was doing, what was fascinating was the pandemic. Uh, people were really starting to make cocktails at home uh, to a level that I don't know that we've seen for a very long time. Um, so people were grabbing those cocktail books. Um, this book actually started as uh, I pitched it to my editor as, hey, um, it's this pandemic. I miss these great dishes because, you know, going out for cocktails isn't just the cocktails, it's the whole experience is the food. Um, let's do that. And she said, great, let's do it. Your experiences and make it global. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Here we go. Um, and that's kind of how we got, we got to bar menu. Yeah, no, I love it. And I like that you do the pairings because typically when you think of pairings, you think wine yeah. and I love, I like, I'm a big wine drinker. And, but I do love a good cocktail, but yeah. <laughs> I am not very adventuresome because I don't like the taste of like heavy, heavy alcohol. Like I usually stick sure. to vodka. Uh, I like myself a really good espresso martini, uh, yeah. but I don't venture out too much. Tequila makes 
be a little nutty, like most. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's got that one, like alcohol. So yeah. it's brown. Like anything brown <laughs> is not good. <laughs> we stick with clear. We don't go brown. Tequila is right. a little, or unless you do the the the, the clear one. But um, pairing food with cocktails, great idea. And I love I the one chapter where you're like just talking about nuts and popcorn. Like yeah. my version is I literally grab some mixed nuts and put it in a bowl. Like yeah. yep, yep. where I buy in the way, but you are elevating it to a point and you're pairing it with, I'm not even going to try and pronounce half the things that you put in there for like that cocktail, like Aperol is pretty advanced for right. me when it comes to like something exotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elevating, but at the same time, keeping it pretty simple. I really want um, my hope for this book is it just inspires people. When I was coming up, cocktail parties were still really formal. You felt like you had to put out 20 different little things. They were all pretty fussy. They had to look great. Um, and it, it, of course, you know, there's a financial hurdle there too when you're trying to, you know, and there's an expectation you have to buy all these wild bottles. And I really try to not only demystify cocktails, but also the food that goes with it and really be a little bit more egalitarian and, you know, the thing that went along with the 20 things that you were supposed to put out was that they were all really bland. Mm. Um, so these days, I, I wanted to write this book because I wrote a book in 2016 called The New Cocktail Hour. And ever since then, I kept thinking, you know, there really is a new cocktail kitchen, too. We're really into spice now. I mean, just think of like the sriracha craze, but it's so much more, right? We're into soy sauce and fish sauce and, you know, chilies of all kinds. Um, and so the American palate has just really changed and really opened up and really become much more global. So back, I have all these, uh, you know, appetizer books and cocktail books from, uh, you know, 50 years ago, even 20 years ago. And all of them, you know, they'll have like a Mexican dip in them or they'll have like what they call like chop suey or something like that. So they're very Americanized. And we have just gone through such a sea change in that kind of thinking, you know, instead of having things Americanized, we really can, you know, we kind of all know what a good taco looks like, or we should at this point, and we can make them at home, or at least we seek out, you know, legitimate versions of them. Um, and so it was the same, same here. I was like, you know, food has changed so much. We can't do these like Americanized versions anymore, or we can, but they're just not exciting. Um, no. Most most of the things are like out of a can, they're very processed. This is like post-World War II mentality, you know? And things are so much fresher now and so much spicier. So that's really behind this book. So it's elevated in a way that the ingredients may not all be familiar, although they are all, you know, you can get them all online or you can get them at an Asian grocery store, that kind of thing. Um, Cause that's the thing you have like ingredients in these books and, and you're like, I can't get that stuff. Like right. you want to be able to be able to, Instacart it or whatever, and the person would know where you can find it at your store or some specialty store around because sometimes they're just not accessible when you use like very exotic only can get this from that right so you right. want to be able to deliver it, and I like to follow cookbooks the way that it tells me to because right. I trust y'all that you tested them and it looks good. <laughs> if it looks like a lot of chili powder, I might half it a little bit, but other than that, like, you know, depending because I have children and they don't, you know, right. oh, taco meat, if it's too spicy, I have to like make some of it. I make up with none and then some, and then they'll always come back like, can you put a little bit in there? I was like, oh, well, you told me nothing. So you nice. get plain and I use Turkey, but it's like, they're very, their palates are different, but um, 
it's funny because I live in Texas. So I was raised by New Yorkers. So I have a very like well-versed palate. And uh, it's funny when I go to, to get Mexican food with other Texans, they're so judgy because it's like, this isn't tech, like the, I'm very picky. It's very Tex-Mex or someone will say that. I'm like, this is it. This is Americanized. It's right. not classic Mexican food and the Mexican restaurants here Americanize it for us because that's what we think we want. Yeah, it's complicated, especially in Texas. I was doing some research in San Antonio and you know, there's Tex-Mex and it's its own food and you have to be very careful to not be like, oh, you know, this isn't real Mexican because it, it is Mexicans making it, but they're Mexican-Americans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so there, and, and my sort of feeling is like everything goes, there's no real authenticity. Once you go down the authenticity road, it's really kind of dangerous, I think, to, to be like, you know, this person's food is more authentic than this person because you just don't know and you can't judge a book by its cover, right? But um, at the same time, there was definitely with this book, the idea that, you know, there are these, you know, we, what we did in the, in the early cocktail books is sort of Tex-Mex everything. So every culture just kind of got dumped in and was made with, you know, sort of Campbell soup cans, if you could. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there's yeah. all this like cream of mushroom or, or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 we don't even eat that way at all anymore. But yeah. what's funny is the cocktail party uh, recipes that you see, some of them still do that, which again, not to be judging, but we've moved on. I think a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways we've moved on. Um, so how do you, yeah, go okay. ahead. No, no, keep going. Say one of the interesting things in this book is I tried to bring some of those great dishes. So we've had a few dishes like deviled eggs, cheese balls, um, radish roses, things that we may think of as sort of like campy these days. Um, but they were a really important prohibition era foods that have kind of survived in our culture and bars have brought them back. So I try to have, you know, my, my thing with deviled eggs is I just can't stand the fussiness of making them. So I offer ramen eggs instead. All you need is a timer and then you can just shake different spices on top of ramen eggs because it's like how we've been eating for the last, I would say 15, 20 years even. Yeah, I actually made my first deviled egg last year Yay. I love deviled eggs. I'm like, I've never made them it's and so I made good. them. They're easy. It's just, they you gotta, I mean, if you're making the basics and I made them like little, I think yeah. it was Easter. I mean, I'm like little chicks. I mean, oh, I do nice. like, I do theme stuff for the kids. It's fun. It's meticulous. It takes forever. And then it's like, Ooh, it's uh, so worth it though, right? It is. It's worth it. It is. It is. It's fun. And so I like to entertain that way. So I try to find things, but something that someone will eat because, right. and this creates so much fuss because I don't have a lot of time. I'm a single mom. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to balance it. But, um, with, so when you're doing like cocktails and things, like I always have vodka, crayon, the, the basics. And then I've got like my wine cause that's easy. But when you're doing cocktail tours, right. Or you're trying to choose what you want to do. You see on TV, like maybe the bartender ones when they're teaching you how to be a mixologist or the bar flip guy that like flips right. bar that makes it look better. Right. Um, forget his name, but he's loud and boisterous, but you see the bartenders take their straw and, you know, taste it. So right. you're testing out a bunch. You're going to get sloshed if you eat, drink or drink it, you know, drink everything. So how do you manage all that? When I'm recipe testing, I actually yeah. recipe test a lot with uh, another guy that has worked on me with me on the last few books. 
And we definitely uh, do the wine tasting thing where we taste it and then, and then spit it out, sadly. Oh. Um, so when we're, we, when we're doing recipe testing and then we do put the best ones in the fridge for later. <laughs> I was going to say, do you like have it? And you're like, oh yeah, that's no, I'm saving that for later. Like this one's, we're drinking that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was funny when I was first started starting out, I thought, oh, I'll recipe test it. I'll have some friends over because I don't want to dump these drinks out, you know? So I'll have some friends over, but it quick, I quickly realized it just devolved into a party and then I'd lose my notes and you know, you, it's not a good way to, to work. And plus, you know, you sort of blow your palate and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's actually not as fun behind the scenes as people might think. Um, moving pretty fast, covering a lot of territory. Um, and uh, but but it's always it's always still really fun. I mean, the creation process is what drives me in the career and why I love making uh, making books. Yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't. Sorry, my dog's now launching. So yeah, he's is my is my life. Um, I will be next. <laughs> yep, and yeah, you know, well, we were talking Mexican earlier. He is a chihuahua, so um, hey, maybe he's just trying to, to weigh in. But yeah, I think. And what's a good palate cleanser these days? Sometimes, you know, for noses, it's like coffee beans or ginger is for the palate. Like, do you keep palate cleansers around? I do. I find that the best thing that works is something like a saltine cracker. Oh. Um, you know, something that kind of just is bland and kind of, you know, sort of sucks the flavor out of your mouth. You know, right. um, it can it can kind of reset you. Otherwise, nothing's really better than sort of waiting a little bit. I know that people do... Um, you know, they do do the, the coffee bean trick with wine. It doesn't work quite as well with cocktails because I think cocktails are, are stronger. Yeah, um, yeah. But definitely something just like, you know, like plain bland crackers are fantastic. Um, Have you included any? Yeah, no. I mean, well, I keep saltines because they're just, they're good for stomach aches. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Or if you're hungover from all the cocktail yeah. partaking that you do. But um, do you have any mocktail cocktails? like recipes or any of these recipes mocktail friendly for those that maybe don't drink, but want to participate in a cocktail hour is because it, it's hard to just be like, I'm drinking water. Or you try to make yeah. it like when I was it entertaining. I used to tell the bartender, like, make it look like one. Yeah. I mean, the wonderful thing is that mocktails have come so far, you know, when I was starting out, it was basically like, great. You want some fruit juice and soda then. Um, and things have come a long way, you know, with products like seed lip. So yes, mo I think all or most of the cocktails in the book can be made uh, in a, into a non-alcoholic. Really the only trick with non-alcoholic drinks, it's harder to make drinks that are all spirit or where the spirit really shines like a martini, you know, but you can do um, other types of, of cocktails that are, are shaken that have juices and that kind of thing in them. You know, things like seed lip, which replaces um, um, gin yeah, or, or ritual that replaces whiskey there are a few of these on the market and they've gotten better and better and they really do kind of mimic the body and flavor of the original spirit oh okay the only thing i knew about was ginger beer yeah, ginger <laughs> beer ginger beer works too for mule, um, maybe. you know i do have some of my books that have mocktails in them not as many in this book just because this is more of a food book and then i really only have like 30 cocktails in there um, so not as many, but I certainly, you know, I recommend that people pick up sort of one of these non-alcoholic books, especially around the holidays. There's mm -hmm. people that, you know, sort of specialize in them. 
Um, and and there are really important options, I think, especially, you know, whether people are, have gone N.A., whether they're pregnant, you never know. And you never really need to ask, you know, no. so when people have hit their limit, they've hit their limit. And it's always important to provide um, non-alcoholic options for people. Yeah, 100 percent. And so when you are going into the holidays and we're looking at this book and we're trying to decide what to serve do you have tips on like how many of each thing or how many cocktails should you uh offer or create an option to make it where it's um like uh you know a, a big a lot a night a good variety is what i'm trying to yeah. ask my words so like a good variety but not like over right. like overkill for you mm -hmm. as the host and overkill for others and on your budget, you know, cause alcohol can get very pricey. And when you have friends over. <laughs> yes. yes, it can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, it's kind of, it kind of really depends on the range that you're trying to go for. I do recommend, you know, for at, at, at the minimum, it's really nice to constrain your guests. So don't feel like you have to have an open bar and offer everything. Um, I think the hosts and hostess, hostesses that do it really well, leave out those recipe cards um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a funny thing in a hosting world. There's sort of a saying that like, you know, I'll make you your first drink after that, you know, where everything is and you know, the recipe, go knock yourself out, which is nice because then you're not burdening yourself with being a bartender at your own party. Cause then at the end of it, you feel like you haven't really talked to anybody because you've been getting everybody drinks. So self-help stations really key. Um, you can leave out, yeah, you know, put out the recipe card or even hand out a recipe card you know, keep that to one or two cocktails and be like, this is the cocktails we're serving tonight. It's amazing how people figure the figure out, you know, that they don't need the sun, moons and stars. Oh, this is what's, what's available to drink. Okay. I'll drink it because yeah. otherwise every difficult guest will be like, actually, I only do this and I only do that. And I only do that. And you can just kill yourself. Um, you, you have kids, you know how this can go. <laughs> no, never, I learned like you can totally tell when people don't have kids because they yeah. ask a question open-ended right. and I'm like, no, no. No, 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 because I watch it. I watch what happens. They ask, and then they three different things, and I'm yeah. like, "How'd that go?" Yeah, exactly. we're still here. I'm like, you give them this option or this option, and they choose. You don't yeah. just be like, "What do you want to do today?" Because then you fight, right? See, you will so. be a great uh, cocktail party host because it's exactly the same. <laughs> same, same way, just treat you, them like children. <laughs> you can't, you can't let the in, the inmates run the asylum, right? And everybody has, you know, the liquor that they love. Oh, have you heard of this? Oh, I actually like this better. That's great. That's not at this party. <laughs> not on my budget, but if you like to bring some. Right. And because of, and actually because of the constraints, you'll have more fun as the host and hostess, and then the party will go better. So, you know, it's always, you know, it's always those, you know, 10% of the customers make 90% of the noise, right? You really want to shoot for the 90% and make sure, um, you know, you could have one disgruntled person go home because you didn't have their brand of tequila, but then they can have a party and invite you over. <laughs> or some people bring it with them. Like yeah, you'll bring a bottle of wine or bottle of whatever. And then most of the time the guests will be like, do you want to open this? Or, yep. you know, unless it's super, yep. you know, it just kind of depends, but you know, that, that's a common thing on what people do. Right. Yep. So what is, um, your go-to because I mean, you've probably had all like had it all right. And I'm sure, and I'm sure you also taste, uh, cocktails and things that you don't care for personally as like a drink all the time like maybe you're just not a whiskey person but obviously you're gonna have to taste whiskey things or is that just like nope I like it all <laughs> 
I do kind of, I have developed a taste for all of it. I mean, there's some of it that, you know, I don't love things that are too sweet because they just kind of fatigue, um, fatigue you. But um, it, at home, I'm pretty simple uh, just because I do a ton of recipe testing all the time. And, you know, I don't want to be consuming all the sugar all the time. Um, so, you know, I love a great, uh, you know, kind of, you know, let's say a daiquiri. Um, you know, but daiquiris can have uh, sugar in them. So I don't drink them all the time. So I do kind of stick to more spiritist cocktails like Manhattans, martinis, even Negronis, things like that. Um, you know, I do always have, you know, lemons and limes in the fridge. So I can make myself, um, you know, something. And I, I think that's nice to have. It's nice to have as a, as a garnish at the very least, um, if you're doing that. A lot of old fashions, that kind of stuff. Um, cool. Keeping keeping it pretty simple at home. Um, but you know, if I'm sitting at a bar with a great bartender, I would love a Ramos Gin Fizz. You know, um, <laughs> just I'm not going to shake that for 12 minutes. <laughs> oh wow! Oh yeah. And do you ever go to restaurants and like ask for something? They're like, I have no idea what that is. And you could just pull out your book. Well, here. <laughs> it, does, it does happen. I try not to do that. It's always surprising what people do and don't know. Um, you know, the country is very big and it has a lot of regional variation. So you'll ask for something that you think, you know, in New York, everybody would, would know this, but in, you know, LA, they don't and vice versa. Um, right. You know, the, 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 the towns do drink differently, you know, just a, a broad wash, you know, probably New York is a little bit more gin and LA is certainly more Mexican distillates. You know, it's going to be more tequila and stuff like that, just because it's a regional thing, Austin, the same. Lots of tequila, lots of lots whiskey. of tequila. Yeah, Very if, you, if you go to <laughs> Chicago, that exists, but there's also a big gin culture. Right, so. right. And so, I want to know what like, is there a cocktail that sticks out of all the things like that you were like, wow, like that was the best thing I've had, never had it before. And is is there a cocktail that's like that was awful? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, there is a spirit called Malort from Chicago, uh, and it's just, it's, it all, I mean, it makes a lot of people spit it out. It's that intensely bitter. Um, I just had a shot of it last weekend because uh, people love to, to do this, you know, to other people, like, grab, you know, pass them some Malort and see what, what happens. And I'm like, I can drink this. I will make a horrible face. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Malort's sort of famous in the industry as, as being... Um, pretty, pretty rough. Um, the great cocktails that I've had have always been because the bartender is incredible. And it's some kind, kind of more than the sum of its parts. Um, so, you know, going or, or atmosphere, something like that, you know, so I always kind of remember um, some of the greatest cocktails, not necessarily the recipe, but who made it for me, who I was with and that kind of thing. And I think that just speaks to, we all have this kind of food memory and we kind of have a beverage memory too. Um, the way that you were mentioning that, you know, um, I think before we started that uh, people, you know, a, a lot of us have that one liquor that we can't stand anymore. Oh, I had too much SoCo in sophomore year of high school so I can never drink it again or, or something like that. But we also have these big positive memories, right? We don't, you know, maybe we had old fashions with an uncle or a grandfather or something, or maybe we went to a bar and we had a great one or, or whatever the, the, the select memory is. So we all have a reason why we choose our favorite cocktail. Um, and I find that pretty fascinating. When I go on the road, it's one of the questions I ask the audience. I'm always curious, like, what are you drinking? What's your favorite thing? And it's really fascinating 
to get different cities and to just how that's changed over time too. Yeah, I was exposed, the first time I was exposed to something new, I, I went to college in Tampa, so it was a very international school, and Amarula, and because I had a couple oh, yeah. of African friends, and they were drinking it in their dorm, and I was like, what is this? It was creamy, and it was yeah. like, they're drinking it's it straight. so good. <laughs> so fattening, my God, so lots fattening. of cream, but yeah. it's so good, and I see it in the store, and it bring and they've changed the branding just a tad, but you see that elephant. And I'm like, great memories from that because that's something that was new for me because I wasn't a big drinker. I, I, I'm a very big rule follower. I didn't really drink until I was 21. I was terrified. And um, <laughs> I didn't even know what beer pong was. So I walked into a dorm room. I'm like, what's this game they're playing? And they're like, you've been living under a rock? I'm like, I play soccer. I don't, we don't <laughs> um, So I learned quarters like a month before. I was like, what is this game? Like, Heather, seriously, you need to get out more. But I have that really great memory of Amarula and I see it in stores. I'm like, oh man, I think of my friends that I learned That's it exactly. from South Africa. It's great. That's like, it exactly. Already, yeah. And Amarula is truly delicious if people don't, um, don't know it. It's sort of like, a, you know, it's like an American cream, like a Kahlua or an Irish mist or something, but it has this like wonderful, like fruit undertone. Um, great so, and you can yeah. drink it straight on ice and I like and even like amaretto um I go to I go to like the liquor stores and I'll ask them like hey I'm looking and I think the last time I went to go buy this Arono, and the guy's like I, I don't want to be rude but I'm going to make a different like you know recommendation <laughs> he gives me this other one he's like if you look at the percentage this is not great and this is and I was like okay so I took it home and I'm like this is way better. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you ask and you ask yeah. the questions to the people that know because they do it all the time. Yeah. They're not trying to make a sale. He's like, no, it's actually cheaper than DiSorno and I'm not trying to make you like make more money. Like this is better. You know? I, think, I think in our cultures, there's this sense that we're supposed to know everything all at once. And I think magazines and Instagram give us that idea. You know, I, and you always have to remember that every drinks writer probably started out on like, you know, Strawberry Boone's Farm, just like, everybody does or or whatever you know these or you know the future uh cocktail writers we're probably starting out on bud light seltzer right now uh you know they're 20 and it's okay <laughs> it's okay you know these these things are okay it's all a spectrum that people grow over time people's tastes change over time they do um, you know and finding something like you know something that's amaretto which is great by the way but you know people move on from amaretto because that's what their parents drank or or whatever and it's okay to go back to these things um, and, and indulge in them. You know, for instance, Midori is having a moment right now, that bright drink, a bright green melon. For Midori in forever, those melon sour yeah. sours. Wow, Midori so sour. It's like a cheesy thing you remember from college, but then it dies out because it's not cool anymore, but then suddenly it's cool. And it's like, it's all of this stuff is always cool. Everybody's on their own, uh, you know, drink journey, just like we're on our own, um, you know, food journey. So you like it, you like it, drink it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I always think that, you know, having these cocktail parties really develop um, your tools as a host, but also just tools for yourself. I learned cocktails through having cocktail parties. How else are you going to do it? You know, and um, I mean, also going to bars and, and having drinks, but really making them, you know, you can make them for a partner or make them for a small group of friends. Or it's a great excuse to get this booze into your house to begin with and start playing around with it. And you learn, I mean, it's amazing how if you have one cocktail party and you're like, oh, I'm going to serve uh, four different types of whiskey drinks, let's say, 
you're going to remember those whiskey drinks forever. And you're probably going to remember how to even the recipe build on them. So it's really good uh, technique. But, you know, by your sixth party, you'll your ideas will have changed and honed and all that. Um, you know, so it's just uh, it's it's you know, I want people to have fun <laughs> and, sure, not that's feel, what it's all about. and not feel like there's this big pressure to, you know, suddenly be this like cocktail, you know, guru. We all know that guy usually guys but guys and gals that you know make four cocktails get a book go to a bar and like oh, i know everything and you're like oh, <laughs> relax relax <laughs> i think cocktails too are, are daunting or they're intimidating because they're not just in a regular wine glass like they're, right. they have different glasses for different things you've got yeah. large balls of ice and then you've got like there's yeah. lots of fancy schmancy stuff you can do and then you got the, the swizzle sticks and the this and the that and the shakers yeah. it gets to where you're like ah, I don't know anything about it and so because you don't know it you don't go there and you just stick with familiarity yeah. and so what I like about your book is it breaks it down it, 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 it takes the scariness out of it and I really yeah. like the photos because they're very simple yeah. and it's like oh that doesn't look too hard or um that's something that it's approachable. Yeah, it's very yeah. approachable. Yeah. It's not intimidating yeah. for someone that is trying to do something nice and maybe elevate it for holidays because you just don't want to have the barbecue, you know, cookout. You want a well, special occasion, whatever you want to, you know, make it a little better. And I really like your book in the way that it's laid out and broken down. It's something very different than what you would get from your typical quote unquote cookbook or guide. Yeah, I think some of that is I have a lot, a number of years writing sort of columns. So I was always writing for an audience. And so I got a sense of where audience is at. And also I go across the country and I, I do book tours, but I do like, you know, sort of cocktail 101 um, classes too. And so I kind of get where, you know, the magazines and Instagram make it look like we're all using dry ice and have fancy glassware and all this stuff. But the reality is that most of the people, most people have never made themselves a drink at all. Not one. You know, not 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 in sort of like a, um, you know, maybe they poured something over ice, but, you know, they probably have never held a bar spoon in their hand to stir, you know, a kind of a classic Manhattan or a martini, which is pretty shocking, um, but also great because it's like once you're over that hurdle, that's all there is. There's nothing. There's no there's no Mr. Wizard, you know, of Oz. It's just you, true. Can make, you can make yourself a drink and it's incredibly empowering and people go home from the classes like, oh, wow, you know, I can make myself my own um, X, Y, Z, you know, whatever you, whatever you like to drink. Um, a lot of people had to do that. And, you know, we're do, using YouTube to watch the videos and do that over the pandemic because they were cut out from their bars. So it's been exciting to see how, how many people um, are making themselves drinks now. That's such a true, actually, you just like put a light bulb on like when I go out I typically will order cocktails but when I'm home I don't pour cocktails I just grab a glass yep. of wine or champagne or whatever or I'll pour it over ice because it's just I don't have to mix it it's easy and by the time yeah. I have a drink I don't typically drink with my kids I, I'll wait till they go to bed sure. and or I'll hide like it's very rare unless I'm like swimming in a pool but it's <laughs> okay. I always say if you see me with a glass of wine and my children are around I'm having a day <laughs> and, but it just, I'm not going to hide it. I'm just, yeah. then they know I'm having a day. And so <laughs> I just like, wow. and it, they're, they're around, it's a, it's a thing. So um, I'm not, and I'm not like a big white claw person. That's a big thing that came out, right? So I don't pour it at home. So I, you've got such a great point there. Yeah. 
it's a it, it really and it really is a kind of a special treat. I'm the same way. I love reaching in the fridge and pouring a, a glass of wine, right? That's the quickest way to wind down. Um, I, actually, I won't say it's the quickest way. Well, may, probably just reaching and pouring is the quickest way. But it's yeah. it's not that far away to make a martini once you kind of get yourself set up, um, you know, or or Manhattan or or some or Negroni or old fashioned or something like that. Yeah. And it is it does feel like kind of a special treat. And when you start out doing it, you sort of feel like you're getting away with something, you know? True. <laughs> like, I know, oh, like, I can have this at home. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you get vermouth? Do you prefer vermouth or no vermouth in your martini? Uh, I'm vermouth. I like, um, you know, these days people go pretty high vermouth. You'll see martinis that are 50-50 um, these days just to kind of go nuts, which is a fun a fun drink as well. Um, I'm pretty classic. I do a two, two parts to one part uh, vermouth. Um, and, uh, for people that are listening that have vermouth, one of the tricks with vermouth is always keep it in the refrigerator. It's more like wine than it is like a liquor. Um, oh. so that's something that, uh, in my classes, I talk a lot about a lot. If you have vermouth at home, so often it's on top of your fridge, it's like hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, okay. And, uh, it's worth keeping it, keeping in the refrigerator and it'll make your Manhattans and your martinis much better. Um, but yeah, a little bit of vermouth in there, um, makes it, makes it go. <laughs> yeah yeah okay and do you keep your lemons and limes in the fridge as well or do you keep them out and do you have actual lemons and limes because I'm sure you probably use the zest or do you have like the bottles that you get you squirted in <laughs> no always fresh fruit the the bottles that you squirted in they you can taste it ultimately um so always fresh fruit whether you have it out or not totally depends it really depends on how fast I think I'm going to use the fruit um, if I'm not gonna, if I'm not gonna use it quickly, I'll stick it in the in the fridge. But you know, fruit is beautiful to have out on the um, on the counter, and I don't discount that kind of thing. Um, plus, it reminds you that you have the fruit and that you should yeah. make yourself a cocktail. <laughs> and that's healthy, right? Because that's still part of the food groups, right? You're having my fruit, food drinking it. Exactly, exactly. You know, if you have avocados and bananas anyway, just put your lemons and limes in there and everybody's happy. <laughs> Absolutely. You got the feng shui with the nine or seven or whatever lemons exactly. you have, right? So, <laughs> well, I so appreciate you sharing your book and just all these fun stories and uh, getting to know you better because I think, um, I like when I have guests on the podcast, like we could look you up and Google you. Of course I Instagrammed you and I looked and we can see the surface. So I really like the, the behind the scenes and um, questions like that. Cause I think it's important to get to know the person behind it because then we're more invested. And when I read the book now, I've we've talked, I'm like, oh yeah, like he said this and you know, it's just a nice way to personify it. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And thank you for having me on. I feel like I write, I work a lot. I write a lot. And so I don't have a ton of time to do the social media. Some people are like these big social media mavens and that's what they have going on. And with me, I'm sort of like, oh crap, I've got to post something on Instagram. So I don't have a lot of personality out there. So it's, it's really fun to come on podcasts and People are like, oh, that's what Andre's like behind just, you know, the Instagram photos that aren't that yeah, great. I love it. Really. <laughs> well, you look so fun. And uh, for those who can't see them, like, it's just so fun. And I think that when you can have a good time and you uh, are reading a book and getting a product from somebody, it just makes it even more special, I, I yeah, think. Absolutely. So, I, um, so where can we follow you on Instagram for when you post and uh, your website and everything like that? 
Yeah, my Instagram is just my name, Andre Darlington, and my website is andredarlington.com. You can find uh, links to all my books out there, plus uh, this tour. I'm doing a 12-city tour for this particular book, Bar Menu. So if your listeners are in any of the cities that I'm heading to, I'd love to see you at one of the events. Are you coming to Austin? I'm not on this tour. Come on! (laughs) You're coming to Texas at all? I'm not doing Texas on this one at all. Uh, No, lie. I'm doing Dallas. Oh, Dallas. Dallas. Oh, very fun. Dallas is good. A little far uh, drive, but how fun. Yeah, I have a pretty good relationship with with Dallas. Some some of the tour is is completely new cities to me. And then some of the tour are um, cities that I do pretty much every tour, which Dallas became one of those. Um, So I have been to Austin, but it's been a number of years. So it's definitely got to be on the list. It's time. It's time. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And um, everyone that's listening can grab a copy of the book via the link in the show notes. And I highly, highly recommend it. It's a great, it's great. I got to look at it and I really do uh, adore it and I'm going to be using it. And uh, I know that everyone will will enjoy it. And uh, thank you again for listening to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with, follow the crumbs to the Facebook group or visit the Chaos and Cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See you all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies. Chaos and Cookies.